Well, good morning, wherever you are, and uh, we're all getting used to this, and it's a delight to me to think of you as you're gathering around uh, maybe a table, maybe in your family room, uh, with your family, as we talk today about the family. If you were with us last week in our study of Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19, you know that uh, God's Word was addressing the marriage relationship. Two short verses summarized marriage, and in a similar way today, as we now look at Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to that church in Colossae in uh, early Rome, first century, is summarizing parenting with really just two lines. Here they are. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke, I have the word embitter, your children, or they will become discouraged. We're summarizing that as two sides of a coin, really. Obedience is about truth, and about in, uh, requiring obedience is about teaching truth. And then the issue of fathers provoking children is about grace. So we're thinking today about teaching truth and modeling grace. We're modeling grace, and, and we'll need to think about that because we want to be showing grace to our children like God shows us. So just a little word of application, even before we jump into this. All of us as parents can remember points of failure, right? Maybe you're in the middle of parenting. Maybe you're looking back at most of your parenting, and there's regrets. Just realize that God also has grace for our mistakes. He understands none of us are perfect parents. But we want to talk today about, is there a difference between a good parent and a godly parent? I'm sure you want to be a good parent. I know as we were raising our uh, six children, we wanted to be good parents. We still want to be good parents. Uh, we want to be good parents of the adult children, good grandparents. You want to be good parents. What does is, what is good parenting look like? I'm just going to give you kind of a, a, a list of things that might be part of good parenting. You want your child to be healthy, right? You want them to be smart. You want them to have social skills. You, you want them to have some special skills like sports and arts and you know, something they're good at, self-esteem, right? You want them to get a good education. You hope that they're going to be financially successful. And then you hope you get grandkids some point, and so you're, you're thinking about that eventually, and these are things that good parents want for their children. Now, realize, I realize you, you love your children, but let's just be kind of really transparently honest, is many times our good parenting contains some honestly, let's say, personal selfish motives. See if you recognize this, and, and you know, don't turn off your device just now. Sometimes we want these things because we just don't want to worry about them. I mean, that's why we want them healthy. That's why we want them financially successful, because those things would cause us worry. So I hope, I hope, they, hope they don't make me worry. Here's another issue. I want to be proud, and so, I, 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 so much of my, my self-worth can be in, in my children. So you know, that's often why we want these other things. I don't want to worry, and 
I want to be proud of them. These are things that are part of every good parent. But I'm just, just wondering, are we aiming high enough to be a good parent? Or are we seeking to be, as followers of Christ, godly parents? If you remember back just a couple of verses prior in verse 17, we looked at what should be our goal for, our, for everything in our life. And here's what we found. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All. That includes parenting, doesn't it? So how do you parent in the name of the Lord Jesus? It seems what he's calling us to is to make it our first goal, not to be a good parent, but to honor Christ in our parenting. Here's the advantage of that, just to be practical. When our goal is to be a good parent, basically our, our success or failure all depends on the results we see in our children. Right? So is my child healthy? Maybe not. Or what if my child isn't first string? What if my child isn't popular? What if my child doesn't someday really become financially successful? It's pretty hard to bat a thousand, right? But when your goal is to be a godly parent honoring Christ in everything that you can control, Am I honoring Christ? You can't control whether or not your child will follow through and be the godly child you want to, but it starts with you being godly, and if your goal is to be a godly parent, then your goal for them would be that they would become godly people as well. In Malachi 2, the Old Testament now, it's a passage about the family, it's a passage about marriage and how marriage affects parenting. Does he, that's God, not make them one, referring to marriage, with a portion of spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? What's God's goal? Godly offspring. In other words, what happens in our marriage is meant, if we have children, to produce godly offspring. So, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. In other words, pay attention to having a godly marriage because then you can pursue the highest goal of godly children as well. Can you completely control that? No. Children will grow up and make their own choices, but be godly and then you can, with, with real integrity, pursue godliness as the goal for your parenting as well. So as we look into this passage today, we are not talking about quick fixes, formulas, but rather these instructions will only make sense when our personal godliness is our goal for ourselves, and then we will care about the godliness of our children most. So obedience is about teaching truth. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. And the Lord in Colossians refers to Jesus Christ. This pleases Jesus Christ. So if you're 11 or 12 years old, let's say, and uh, watching this today, uh, first of all, good for you. I sometimes think that preteens are, are some of the best at listening to sermons uh, because it seems that you are at that age where you are you are genuinely pursuing and thinking about spiritual truth in a more grown-up kind of way. So 
this is very important to you to listen carefully. And now I'd like to address all the two-year-olds that might be in the room uh, with you. Good luck, right? No, the two-year-olds are sneaking your donut. The two-year-olds might be, might be squabbling about a toy. So as you think about this verse, it makes a difference when it says children obey, whether you're two or 12 or parenting a two-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old. You see, parents are accountable to require obedience the younger the child is, and then there is a transition and accountability to obey gradually shifts to the child. Children obey the same command, but it applies differently as we parent. Proverbs contains so many valuable pieces of wisdom and instruction, very practical, about uh, childhood and parenting. And so we see, for example, these instructions to children. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Peace and prosperity. So this incredible principle. Please understand that Proverbs are, are principles and not always ironclad promises. Uh, Many of you know that our, my sister um, uh, Sharon died at age 13, and I was, I was younger, I was the youngest child. But uh, my parents tell me that uh, she was a very obedient and respectful child, and, and yet she didn't live long, so what do we do with this verse? Well, it's a, a principle, God had a different plan for her, but, but it's a principle that indeed a child who grows up obedient and respectful tends to have things, a lifestyle that causes them to live longer, have more peace in their relationships, and have even more success. It's just, that's how it works. And if you, but if you spend your, 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 your younger years resisting authority, things are going to be harder uh, for you. Uh, it's going to be, there's going to be more conflict in your life. I mean, you might end up in jail if you just always fight authority. That's, that's what's going on usually when we break the law. So, God puts the responsibility on children to be sure to listen to the teaching of parents. But then you keep reading in Proverbs over and over, it's also addressed to parents that we are responsible to discipline, that is, to require obedience. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope, and do not be a willing party to their death. Pretty sobering, but what it's simply saying is that failure to discipline effectively can actually create a, a dangerous lifestyle. In a more positive note then, Proverbs 29 says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. So where failure to discipline creates a dangerous pattern in their life, you could say that faithfulness to discipline is what brings you the most enjoyment. These are principles of how life and parenting works. And then, as we said, there is a gradual transition that takes place as children age. And so these words are spoken, again, Proverbs, to young people about friendships. A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. Uh, gluttony refers to overeating, but it's about excesses in general. When there's you know, wild and crazy excesses, if that's your lifestyle... Um, 
there's going to be, there's going to be some shame that comes with that, that. There's a problem. You need to address that. Another issue that, that is addressed in Proverbs is the issue of respect or disrespect. The eye that mocks, this is an interesting one, the eye that mocks a father that scorns to obey a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. Now, I've never actually seen that happen, but I don't know whether to chuckle at the 3,000-year-old illustration or to cry at the reality that, that things are going to go really, really badly when disrespect is perpetuated. Now this word to parents, which I believe contains hope. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know many parents, as they look at that, either in their present parenting, if it's not going well, or if they look back and, and, and it's, you have, you're disappointed about something, many times this verse has been a cause of shame and regret when I really meet, believe it was meant to be encouragement. Because we do understand that a child matures, and so there will be times when a, a child who was, if you will, raised with godly priorities may not be godly. That's, their, that's a choice. But this is a passage of hope because it's addressed to parents to say, this, this first half of the verse, this is, what you can, this is what you control. You want to train up a child in the way he should go. Or Ephesians 6, 4 says the, the training, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. You want them to be Christ-focused. And by doing that, you give them an opportunity to understand what it means to please the Lord. Because you've been modeling this for them. This is, this is your desire for them. And even if, even if they resist it, there's something to come back to. Because they've been in an environment where pleasing the Lord has been the priority. And now we see in the second half of this verse, that is exactly the focus of Paul. The reason for obeying or requiring obedience, if you're the parent, is because it pleases the Lord. Example. You got a, got, a, got a youngster that's using, taking his tr- truck and using it like a weapon. Uh, he's uh, smashing against the wall. Okay. So why should, why should he stop when you say stop? Because you just can't stand it anymore. Now it's bigger than that. Uh, because uh, grandma bought the truck and she'll be really disappointed if it's broken. Now it's bigger than that. Uh, because if, if he keeps doing that, you know, the, the neighbor in the next apartment is going to call the manager and you'll be in trouble to get... No. It's bigger than that. The reason they need to obey you is because it pleases the Lord. And so some of the things that you'll be talking about is, you know, mommy and daddy are, are in charge of you because God wants us to be in charge and you need to, to trust us. And, and this truck is something that has value and, and we're, supposed to be, we're supposed to be taking care of things that have value that God gave us. And, and, and the reason we can't keep making this terrible terrible noise is because we care about the people around us. God wants us to care about the people around us and, and, and this, this unusually loud noise is annoying to them. So this becomes part of our training that it's, it's, it is vertical. We are teaching them to please the Lord. The reason that's so important in childhood is that if our goal is godliness, 
that's what we're shooting for someday. That they would not just please the Lord during these years they're under our roof, but that they would please the Lord for their entire life. We are developing, training, and preparing them to please God their entire life. Uh, quite a few years ago, the, uh, the young adult that was uh, leading worship here today, Eric, was uh, part of our household, our oldest child. And uh, I remember a uh, kind of a memorable conversation, one of probably quite a few that we had during those years, preteen and early teen especially, where we're kind of going head to head, and, and, and the conflict was about some freedom issue. Should he have the freedom to do this? Or I don't, didn't want to give him the freedom to do that. And a word picture popped into my head. That it's like we were pulling on a rope against one another in a tug of war. He wanted this much freedom, and I was still in the control that I was only going to give him this much freedom. I said, Eric, you're going to eventually win this battle. This, the rope has all come in your direction. And we're really only arguing about this much rope. But I'm going to keep giving you more rope, and eventually you'll have it all. You'll win. But when I let go of the rope, I'm not really letting go. I'm handing it to God. And now for the rest of your life, he will be holding on to this rope. And, and I continued to use that with him and with our other children because hopefully it gave hope that this, this struggle we had is something they are going to win, but at the same time I trust it gave them accountability and focus that, that it's not just about suddenly you become completely independent. We're never independent. We are always and eventually under God's accountability and uh, discipline. So, Pleasing the Lord is a goal. How do we communicate that? It really doesn't help to communicate it unless it's our goal. Pleasing the Lord means nothing. In fact, it might even be a negative until they see that that's how mom and dad live their lives. They're going to see it, first of all, in our marriage. They're going to see if in our character... There is a, a, a process of learning love, joy, peace, patience, self-control in the way we relate to one another. That means everything to a child. They're going to see it by how we, how we treat the, the clerk in the store. They're going to see it by our financial priorities. Are we living to please the Lord? Is that just a natural part of, of, of what is driving us? And so... Pleasing the Lord, our, starting with us, being godly, is, is the first step to, to them understanding what it means for them to please the Lord. But then it does matter what we say. And so we should talk about it all the time. Going back to the Old Testament, Moses, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In other words, this needs to be our focus, that we want to love him and so these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. It starts with us, and then what? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you drive the car to those endless activities that someday will restart. 
talk about it. But it starts first with, where's our own affection? Is, do, we love the, do we love worship? How, how would your children know your love for worship? Do you love his word? These commands are on the heart. How would they know that you love the word of God? Our affections give them a pattern. Do we, in, in, then, and then talk about it. Then, so, so do they hear us giving credit to God for, for blessings or pride? Uh, do, do, they, do they hear us describing his grace when we make mistakes? when we apologize to them. See, is, is grace and, and, and God's love and goodness, is that a natural part of our discussions? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. When do you start doing that? When do you start talking about it? Earlier than you can imagine. Second Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, how from infancy, Paul is addressing Timothy, From infancy, you, Timothy, have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is a a unique family situation. Paul met Timothy on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, Timothy's parents were mixed spiritually. His dad was an unbeliever, but his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois were believers. And so, uh, for me, this, this is a good illustration, I guess, of, of many families where they are not uh, spiritually ideal, if you will. And uh, so there is a, 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 sometimes we think, well, you know, I don't have that marriage. I, I, can't, I can't parent godly. No, think of Eunice and Lois, a mom and a grandma, who communicated from infancy the scriptures to young Timothy. And then what did God do for Timothy. God sent Paul to town. Now, it's kind of unusual, I know. The Apostle Paul came, and the Apostle Paul became his mentor. And so on a later journey, he picked up Timothy, took him along, and and trained him spiritually, discipled him, if you will. And and Timothy, as he's writing, Paul's writing to Timothy there, he's he's a pastor in Ephesus. So, that shows us, I guess, the power of a single person in the family, a parent, a grandparent, who has that focus on godliness and the impact that you can have. And then it also shows us the importance of the local church. Because the local church is where your child can find those other godly mentors. The Paul, the Paul that Timothy had, right? And so all these different areas where I know we as parents, we, we fail in this or fail in that or, or we wish we had more input. Well, that's what the church is for. And so there's youth leaders and Sunday school teachers and there's other godly adults that they come to know and respect. And when your voice as the parent begins to recede in influence, inevitably, there is now a whole, a whole cohort of, of voices of adults that your child knows and, and respects that believe the same things. And, 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 and as you know, as, you, as, as they progress through high school and through college, they're going to hear so many voices of people who, who, who care about them. But will there be this preponderance of evidence that there are people who are focused on, on honoring Christ, just like mom and dad did? Children, obey your parents. In everything. For this pleases 
the Lord. That's what we want to communicate. That's communicating truth. The flip side of the coin is that this must be communicated in an atmosphere of grace. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they will become discouraged. Dads, is this fair? Why, why, why is Paul picking on dads? This, this, has, this is true of moms too, isn't it? It is. Why does he focus on dads? Well, if you were with us in our study last week, as we looked at marriage, we discovered from this passage, but especially from Ephesians 5, that God has appointed us as men, dads, husbands, the leader in the home, spiritually. And so just as we said we were more responsible as, as husbands for the marriage, we really are more responsible. Both are responsible, but even more responsible because we are leaders. And so he addressed it to dads, don't provoke your children. And what he is saying is that we must parent with grace, graciously, or we will discourage our children. This term provoke uh, it could be translated, as mine says, embitter. It, it has to do with creating an inner anger. Don't create this inner anger, this, this strife, this tension, because on one hand, they, they, love and, they want to love you and respect you, but yet they're, they're, they're feeling all this negative harshness from you. And so there's this tension, it's creating this inner anger. Now, please don't misunderstand, this is not saying be lenient. This is not saying don't discipline. This is not saying that if your child is angry, it's your fault. There's plenty of reasons why your child's anger will be their fault, and they need to address that. Just make sure that you're not, by a lack of grace, you're not communicating and, and creating an anger. They will become discouraged, disheartened. Probably, um, adults listening, that you've had a job at some point where a boss wasn't really fair. Uh, the boss, the, the classic bad box boss, uh, motivates with things like fear, um, ridicule. You don't, you don't get the impression they're on your side. You, you get the impression they're kind of against you, they're just waiting for you to fail. And the more you are in an unhealthy work environment like that, the more you start going through opportunities to work elsewhere. You're out of there when you can. And I think there is, there's so many similar ways that sometimes, even in Christian homes, we can create this environment that, that we are parenting with fear and ridicule, and, and they don't feel like we're on their side at all. And so we are creating an inner anger because, you see, basically the process of parenting is that we want to treat our children like God treats us. To treat our children like God treats us. And he treats us with this perfect balance of, of grace and truth, doesn't he? So how, how do we go about that? I'm going to talk about a grace based parenting mindset. Uh, the question is, what is Paul addressing here? 
What is he addressing that he's warning us about? It's a not grace-based mindset. So it can be performance-based, it can be fear-based, it can be guilt-based. So let's take these one by one. We call this area motivation. Motivation. A performance-based motivation is this. Our children realize that our pride is at stake. They know what, where this is coming from, and so we, we're trying to uphold this standard, but it, it boils down to, are we embarrassing them? And, and uh, you know, it's about dad or mom's self-image as opposed to a grace-based motivation, which is our child sees how much we value our relationship with them. How much we value the relationship. And that's how God treats us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, for Christ's love compels us to live for him. There is, there is something about Christ's relationship to us that he gave up his whole life for us that becomes the motivation. That's the opposite of an inner anger. That's an inner appreciation for God that he valued our, his relationship with us so much that he would die for us. And so are we communicating that we value the relationship? How do you show that? I think we show that we value the relationship. Here, here's just, just two pieces of the puzzle. Time and attitude. Time and attitude. The time issue is that we got all these years, let's 18 years, to invest in our child with time. And time often means attention. Time so often means listening. And so you, you listen to the, the ramblings of a two- to four- to six-year-old, and, and you listen to the, the thoughts of that middle schooler. You, you listen to what's going on in high school. There's so much about time that is just about listening, and, and then, of course, you attend their things and many things. Time. Attitude. There's a sense if we are so wrapped up in our own lives or if we are invested in theirs. What's our attitude? How, how do they see that attitude? Uh, someone this week told me the difference between a mom and a grandma. The difference between a mom and a grandma, they said, is this. If you ask your mom to cut your cheese sandwich for you, they might say, just deal with it. And if you ask grandma how to, to cut your cheese sandwich, she says, would you like hearts or triangles? Sometimes we need more of a grandma attitude. Sorry, moms, I know you would do the same thing, but sometimes we need a more grandma attitude. Grace-based. Grace-based discipline. Okay, we're going to... Obedience is important, we see that. So what is a fear-based discipline? A fear-based discipline is where we're focused on punishment, which ends up being inconsistent because it's coming from our emotions, we're reacting emotionally, and that's producing our discipline, whereas a grace-based discipline is where we, it is given with careful instruction and consistency. Why? Because that's how God parents us. A couple snippets from a passage in Hebrews that is uh, really worth your time, both to understand how God relates to you, but also to understand this whole principle of parenting like him. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Okay, what's the motive? His love. And discipline, it says, is not pleasant sometimes. Of course, that, that's, what, that's the point, to make something unpleasant to create a new way of thinking. 
But then here's the result. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God always parents with this perfect balance of love and discipline, truth and grace. His, his discipline of us personally, all through life, is always perfectly appropriate, and ours isn't, right? We make mistakes all over the place. And we see we're going this way or we're going that way in terms of you know, the proper, proper balance. But do we understand the goal is about the peaceful fruit of righteousness and not just reacting from emotions because it, it's fear-based when, when our discipline boils down to this makes me so mad and so you're going to pay. That's fear-based. As opposed to I love you so much that I see where this attitude, this action is leading and I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness for you. So is our pride at stake about, about embarrassment? Are we, are, we, are we reacting emotionally and making threats that are irrational? Because you, you, you're never going to follow through on that. And it's this wide swings of sometimes our, our, uh, our extremes because it all depends on what mood mom or dad are in that we create the discipline. God's never in a bad mood. Yeah, we are. But are do we know the goal? Do we see the model of how God treats us? So grace-based in our discipline. And then finally, grace-based in our view of holiness. As a Christian parent, you care about holiness. You care about righteousness, doing the right thing, good behaviors, right? But sometimes we can basically weaponize the idea of holiness, Guilt-based view of holiness is this, a focus on God as our judge who is condemning our sin. It comes across in how we present God. Boy, you are really disappointing God right now. Put-downs, what kind of person are you? Or, this is a good one, why can't you be like so-and-so in your Sunday school class? Now you're going to really like that person, aren't you? Do we have a guilt-based view of holiness? What's a grace-based view of holiness? It does not ignore sin. But a grace-based view of holiness is focused on God as our Savior, helping us have victory over sin. That in our quest to please God, He is there to help us address sin. He started that at the cross, forgiving us of all sin, but He's also doing that in our, the process of sanctification, so how do you communicate how God helps us overcome sin? You just need to translate how God helps you. So how do you, parent, how do you call upon God when you're tempted? How, how, how does he help? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. When you're tempted, he will provide a way out. That's a pretty important verse. That, that God is available to us. Christ, the one who never sinned, is this, this high priest who comes along as an advocate to help us. So, so parent, how, how do you call out to him and, 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 and the Holy Spirit from within, right? How, how do you, what does it look like for you to depend upon the Holy Spirit for love and joy and peace and patience? And you know your child best. You know how to communicate that better than anyone else. 
You care about God's holiness. Holiness is birthed in grace. There's a passage I put up for the screen on the screen just now for you that seems to draw together what it means to be motivated by grace personally, and this becomes a template for how we parent as well. Quoting from the Old Testament, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? I want this relationship with you. Therefore, since we have these promises that God is longing for this relationship with us, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness, why? Out of reverence for God. Do you see the grace of chapter 6, verse 18? God is longing for that relationship, and that's why. That, and that's what motivates us to address anything that contaminates our lives. The goal of parenting is to parent like God parents us. And he parents with truth and with grace. So are we grace-based? If you have children at home, um, you realize someday your child will be an adult, right? Didn't mean to surprise you, but someday when they're an adult, you, you really want them as a friend. That'd be the goal, right? And right now, you realize that tension because you're the parent, not the friend. And you can't always just be the friend. But as you project into the future, visualizing this child as your friend someday, you wouldn't want to wound them in a way that would prohibit or create barriers to a good quality friendship. And so while you parent and you have the authority and you need to carry through and all these things, you're looking towards that day when you enjoy them as friends. If you look back and say, well, didn't do that too well, go back and be a friend. Go back. What do friends do that have hurt one another? They apologize. Friends discuss it. Friends talk about it. Friends are humble before one another, and that's what draws them together. So wherever this message finds you, whether you're just starting out, and I think sometimes we have a really exciting, it's good, a very exciting view of this is going to be the greatest kid ever, and then somewhere in the middle of it we kind of get disillusioned, and someplace later going, well, wow, that was hard. Wherever you find yourself, make sure that you, everything you do in word or deed, chapter 3, verse 17, is done to honor Christ and see how he begins to transform and clarify what needs truth and what needs grace, that God, that Christ personally, who saved you, brought you into his family, would be honored by your family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are... Uh, humbled before your word again, knowing that it uh, is that which goes uh, to the inner parts of, our, of ourselves, and it, it teaches us, it trains us, it, it keeps us on track, it, it, it adjusts our thinking, it changes our perspective. And because you know our hearts, and because your spirits at work through your word, I know that uh, these words sometimes maybe have been hard today in some ways, and encouraging in others. We just trust you, Lord, to do your work in our lives, and I pray 
I pray for every child, Lord, that is, is in those, the, the spiritual tension and battles of, of, of growing up. It's hard. And, and I pray you'd go with them and help them to learn about your love for, for them and, and that they would put their faith in you as Savior and, and would find you faithful in their lives as, your, as their friend and enabler by your Spirit. I pray for every parent that is, is struggling right now and not knowing what to do next, what to try next. I pray that they would uh, uh, see themselves as the recipients, first of all, uh, for your grace and patience in that process, and that they would find the, uh, the help, the, the friends, the mentors in their lives. Lord, we, just, we love our kids, and we just commit them to you and pray that you would be honored through their lives.